for a wonderful Savior we have. A Savior that has the greatest name, Lord, greater than any other name. Lord, we come to worship Him, worship you, Lord, this morning. I pray, God, that our worship would uh, be done in spirit and truth, Lord, and I pray, God, you would help us open our minds and be attentive, Lord, and hear your word, learn something, Lord, from your word, Lord, again today, Lord. And Bless the needs that are present here amongst us and those that are watching, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Turn to number uh, 40. I think some of, few of you know this song. Greatest Thy Faithfulness. Ah! Uh -huh. 
to see it now? Sure. Yeah, all right, let's sing number four and four to six. Go back toward the back of your songbooks. Four, four to six. We'll sing Satisfied. Let's all stand, we sing this song here. So. <coughs> song to sing and uh, it's about it's about finding what you needed the word that we use when you find something you look for and you're happy about it, it's called Eureka I found it Eureka I found it in this case I found him 
And isn't that true that you and I, before we were saved, were not really happy? We thought we were happy. We thought we were okay, but until we got saved, we realized how much we were not happy. Yeah. Now, you are uh, blessed and fortunate if you're raised in a Christian home or a religious home, and you didn't have to go through a lot of the mess that some people go through before they get saved. Some people go to prison before they get saved, and then they get right with God, and then they're happy about that. They look back and say, oh, what a, what a waste of life I've had, and how I'm glad now I found him. And they say, hallelujah. That's a good Bible word, hallelujah. I found him. I hope you never get tired of your experience as being saved. You need to remember when you got saved. You need to remember what it was like before you got saved and, and things like that so that it keeps your heart warm. Uh, you can become very cold and mechanical in your, quote, religion, in your faith, if you forget that you were once lost and now you're saved. You'd uh, be happy about that. That ought to make you smile, even if you're Chinese. <laughs> Yeah, right. You know, my, my background is uh, a life of not smiling. And so my upbringing, my, you can ask my brother, Andrew, uh, it is true. Although uh, I never was much to pay attention to my siblings and it was also coming my way. And you can, you can tell you that it was like that growing up with uh, seven siblings. It was not very pleasant many times and fighting and arguing and bitterness and sour puss and uh, resentful, all these kind of things are part of our life growing up, and so it's not a very smiley kind of life. And so, uh, but it's different when you get saved because you have reason to smile. And I don't mean fake, fake, put on, you know, TV, fake music, evangelist. I mean real kind of smile in your soul, in your heart. Well, I uh, want you to pray about some things. Uh, one is, of course, it was in the it was in the church email bulletin. Uh, Mrs. Tab wife of a pastor and the founder of the Gulf Coast Bible Institute in Florida. Uh, she has cancers, and so they have created a GoFundMe account for her benefit. And then also the Gulf Coast Bible website, Institute website has a place where you can click to donate through PayPal and use different you know, credit card, whatever you want to do, to help fund um, her medical needs. I talked to the man who set this up. This is the son-in-law of uh, Mrs. Tab and um, got some clarification wanted to know some details and uh, it's a very um, it's a very cancer is always bad no matter what it is and yet um, they're trying some different methods to set traditional ways and so not my business and you know good for them God bless them if you want to do like that I, I'm not even thinking about that I'm just thinking about how can I help and so my wife and I made a donation to them Saturday through their um, Gulf Coast Bible Institute website and so we got through and let the man know that we did that and I told him that we would broadcast that in church to see if people like to respond to that. So it's in the church email bulletin uh, how you can help in anything. It'll be appreciated for sure. He told me how much some of the medications cost per dose and it's kind of crazy. But uh, nonetheless, that's what's going on. And uh, it's not for you and I to judge what they're doing. It's for you and for me to say, how can we be a help to them? You know, you don't know them. I bought materials from uh, Mr. Tab decades ago it was very helpful and uh, so they have a history of you know being solid Christians and good people um, and um, so I'd like you to pray about how you can help them financially besides uh, of course pray for them too that is also effective but if you can do something and I want to I want to tell you I'm thankful to God I can do something I can help them I have a little extra so I can help with and I told my wife last night uh, let's just do this I said you good with that she says amen you know, so good for her. She's on board with me. 
And uh, because of the Uber thing, I'm able to do more than I ever could do because of uh, having a little bit extra to do something with. And I told my wife this last week, four days since I came back from the trip, I was so anxious to go back to Uber because, uh, you know, on the mainland, what am I doing there? <laughs> what am I doing on the mainland except enjoying the countryside and enjoying the grandkids and enjoying visiting my mother and all these kind of things? I am just, you know, not doing anything. And so I was anxious to get back in the saddle to do something like that. And I had a good week. I only did four days, three, four hours a day kind of thing. But I told my look at what the Lord helped me to do. And I will tell the truth, ladies and gentlemen. I told you in Sunday school that uh, because we're going through Exodus, I'm teaching through Exodus at 9.30 and I'm preaching some parts of Exodus at 10.45 and there's a difference. And I was trying to encourage people that when you honor the Lord and put Him first, somehow He sees fit to find favor with you. And every time I get in the, behind my car and get ready to go, I always whisper a prayer and I ask God to bless what I'm doing today. Number one, I'd like to give out more tracks than I could to passengers, to riders. Sometimes I'd be very cautious and all that kind of thing and respect the rules, which I do. But I do want to give the gospel tracks to witness to people on the way. Can't always do that, but I'm always asking God to give me an opportunity to do that. Amen. Number two, I'm asking Him to bless and prosper what I'm doing for these few hours because I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, um, jeopardize any other time that I need to put effort into different things with the ministry. But I'm doing this actually for the ministry. And so I ask God to find favor with what I'm doing. And I want to tell you that sometimes it's very slow. Sometimes it's very like, uh, sometimes like, is this worth it? You know, you feel like that. And then sometimes it's like, it's unbelievably fun. Uh, not only with the people that you meet, but also with uh, what you earn because of just the nature of the way things are. I don't even know what I earn until I get home. I don't want to know. And would you like to know why I don't want to know? I don't want to criticize what I'm doing and find fault with it. Because if I did that, I would be saying, you know what, this wasn't worth it. You know what, this wasn't worth it. You know what, this wasn't worth it. So by the time I get home, I look and see what, what has happened. I say, oh, this was worth it. I was to my wife, I show her the phone, I show her the app, say, look, this is what the Lord helped me to do today. And she go, oh, praise the Lord. Now, what I'm trying to express to you is that uh, Mrs. Tab needs some help. We responded, we tried to do what we could to help and um, other things that we're able to do. And so I'm grateful for that. I know where the hand of blessings have come from. I know who helped me. I know who's given me the health and the ability to do what I do. And even if it's a small thing. It's not a big deal, but it is a big deal to me because I appreciate what God has allowed me to do. Not only to pastor the church, but also do these things when I have time to do that. And so I just want to encourage you to put God first in your life as Christians. And... Um, uh, overlook any kind of arguments, excuses why you should not live for the Lord and why you should not be generous with the Lord. And uh, given it shall be given unto you. Matthew, Luke chapter 6. That verse has been coming back to my head over and again. I have memory cards. You know, I was encouraged to memorize verse because Jim. Jim has got a real thing going on. And uh, last year he showed me what his cards were like and I got encouraged about that. And so I have revived uh, trying to memorize scriptures. And Luke chapter 6 is one of them. Given it shall be given unto you. Now I have to be discriminatory when I give because everybody's asking for your money. Everybody. Many, many good organizations and ministers ask for your money, but I have to I have to focus on what is the most beneficial and where I believe it'll be the most helpful to something that I know, somebody that I know. So you cannot just give freely like that crazy, you know, all kind of all kind of things that come your way. You have to be very 
discerning about what you give to. First of all, I always tithe to my church. Not even a question, not even an issue, not even a prayer thing to pray about. Should I? I don't even pray like that. I just do it because it's a matter of what I do as a Christian. Number two, I pray about where to, where to send uh, offerings, uh, love offering people into other ministries. I pray about that and I give to that faithfully. I support, my wife has supports, we support several missionaries on our own besides giving to the church to support missionaries because I want to and because God has enabled me to continue doing that and I want to increase that. Anyway, I'm just saying all of that to say that uh, this is all sprung up from studying Exodus and going through it, trying to start something to encourage you to, to do the right thing too. Okay, so uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things should be added to you. Now, I claim that. I claim that. And uh, I would like to encourage you to help Mrs. Tep if you feel led to. And also, uh, got word from uh, the Lim family. They've been out for more than six weeks since we were away. They were out, and we found out uh, why they were out. They said they were sick, and sure enough, uh, yesterday, um, Marina talked to his wife, and they have such codes and costs going on in their own household. And the baby's been coughing hard and everything like that. So it's been kind of passed on to each other within their own home. He works from home, so he's not catching from fellow employees. He's getting it from within the house. Uh, she suspected maybe mold somewhere, and so hopefully they will check it out, see if that's a possibility. And so um, pray for the Lim family. Um, they watch online, which is um, like in black and white. It's better to be here live, technically, you know. Better to be at the game firsthand rather than just see the on TV kind of thing. So pray for them. They like to be here. And then I uh, found out, um, I, I knew that Judah's going to have surgery on her ankle before we left and then didn't hear much about how it went. And so I uh, found out that she's doing fine. She's recovering. She's back teaching the school. She teaches at Campbell High School in Eva. And so um, they've already started school. So I'm glad to hear that she is doing well. Uh, all right. So those are some things to catch up, catch up with. Uh, Emily and Pete, we always pray for them. Um, pray for her business to do well with the real estate business and also Pete trying to get that gun range thing up and going full time and so um, challenging thing alright then we have some friends in Texas that uh, his name is Randy he had um, all of his toes amputated from his right foot and so he's uh, recovering from that surgery he's doing okay considering his wife had a prayer request that uh, her insurance company would accept the claim for her surgery and so it was no for a while. Now the company says we will honor the claim. And so that's good news for them. So Debbie and Randy. Uh, Randy is the friend of ours that owns over 70 guns in his home, which he cannot find in Texas. 70. 70. I've been to his home, and uh, I can see why he can't find it. <laughs> it's all over the place. I'm sure it's secure, but... Uh, <laughs> Rain is a good old-fashioned um, uh, Christian, independent Baptist, has good conservative convictions. He, uh, anyway, um, I want to tell you this before I get to the book of Exodus, chapter 32. Uh, I picked up a writer. They are from Cambodia. I like to listen to the story, and I hope you appreciate what you have as Americans. In spite of everything, I appreciate that you are Americans. This Cambodian family um, got to talking, as they always try to do, and they said, the father said, in the front seat, the father says, yeah, we are Cambodian. We're from uh, Northern Virginia. I said, oh, toward D.C.? Yeah. 
Fredericksburg or around that area, work for the government? He says, yes. In D.C.? Yes. I said, oh, no. Out of the car you go. He's kind of joking, you know. And he said, oh, I understand what you mean. He says, it's bad up there where I work. He says, everybody's liberal where I work in government. I said, I guess you have to just mind your own business, do your own work. He says, I got to be quiet. He says, but it's really bad up in D.C. where I work, in his department. He says, everybody is so, so woke. So woke in D.C. I said, I think I can understand that. And he says, uh, I'm from Cambodia. He says, I hate the communist government. I said, yeah, what do you mean? He says, I hate, I don't hate the people. I hate the communist government. He says, my father, my father in Cambodia was blindfolded and he was executed by the communist. He says, I was one year old and uh, some relative told me, at one year old, his dad was killed, murdered by the communist government blindfolded shot he says I remember that because I was told that's what happened and he says I hate the government I don't hate the people I hate the system the government I said yes that is very true I think I can sort of understand what you mean our country is said that racist yes it is that's from men who works in the government in DC so what that means is that's never happened here yet our country is still free in many ways and yet we always see movements trying to take away freedoms that's always happening more and more so what can you do about it he says don't make mistake he says I love this country he says I got to fly to Hawaii nobody said I could not fly to Hawaii he has his wife and two kids in the backseat he says we get to come and fly anywhere we want to it's free country still yet he says I appreciate being an American but he says I see where I work how corrupt things are. Now we understand that, but you cannot, you cannot, you cannot try to fix everything yourself. You can pray, you can elect people that are decent at least, you think they are decent. You can elect people, that, both of people that have good values. You can elect people, elect people that seem to have character. And that's what you can do. And the rest is up to God to install whoever he wants to have in office. I mean, doesn't promotion come from the east or from the west? Doesn't it come from above instead? And that is true. And um, we can go on. I'm not going to go on about what you obviously know. But uh, that was very sad to hear that his father was executed by the communists. Blindfolded, shot. And people want a communist country? It doesn't make any sense, does it? There's a blindness. There's a spiritual blindness there. All right, enough of that. Just want to pass it on to you, not to discourage you, to get you violent and protest and shut down the government, anything like that. Just to let you know that there's people who have all kinds of experiences that when you look at them, you look at yourself, you don't have it too bad. You don't have it too bad. Um, Nathan and Joseph took apart the washing machine to get rid of some of the mold they think is in there. But they took it apart. They've never done it before. Joseph's back there with the screwdriver unscrewing things and Nathan doing something. They watched a YouTube video. I had a simple hand of lifting the drum up because it's very heavy so they can unscrew and get down to the bottom of things. And you know, Joseph is pretty thin so you can reach way down below. They undid the drum, took it out, left the house and took it out, took it outside, pressure washed all this junk off and they were selling it back together. 
I would never try that. I would never try that. And uh, they, they, they're doing that. I'm not sure if it's done right now, but they've got to the place of reassembling it. You know what I would do? I would give to debt, have bought buy a new one or have it fixed because I'm not skilled like that. Joseph's got a mind over here. Don't ever say I told you so, but he's got a brain up over here that's really working. And you know why it's working? Because from the time he was very small, his parents read to him. I'm not kidding you. I, I said in Sunday school, you need to improve your attention span by reading. If you if you look at that screen, that phone all the time, and the pen's holding that for your education, for your for your whatever you gather, you're gonna you're gonna diminish your your um, attention span. I say you need to learn how to read. Go back to reading hard copy books. Read your Bible. Get to reading your words and don't get bored with things and uh, read and you will improve your attention span. You know why sometimes people in church think sometimes it's boring? It's not because it's boring. Sometimes it is because the guy's boring, really, for, true, for, for real. Sometimes it can be very boring, but sometimes it's the person himself or herself, they have a short attention span because they're so ruined by the devices. Uh, that's the truth. And sometimes we just have a hard time focusing. Well, Joseph has been read to us since he was a little baby, before he could understand anything, and he has had a love reading uh, growing up, and, and he digests consumer magazines, he digests technical things, he wants to figure, I have a picture of him when he's a little boy, watching around his soul, he's like this, looking over his, her shoulder, not his shoulder, her shoulder, he's like this, in awe at the machine going up and down, da da da, and I didn't realize it then that that was a part of his psyche, his, his inquisitive brain, his wanting to know how things work. He put together in his much younger a grill that I bought from the city mill. I said, hey, you think you know everything? You think you're smart? Get here, put this together. Put it together. <laughs> I will say one thing, though, with that is youth. And youth, they're, they're immature, they have zeal, but sometimes a lack of wisdom. When I got my Sienna van, uh, the, there's two seats that fold like that and fold down. And uh, it was working fine, the one on the right side. Let me just say this, and I'll get to the lesson today, the message today. But uh, there's a the direction says, pull a crank this way, and the seat will come back and it will go down. So he was on the, the driver's side, the picture. He's reaching out over here. He sees the thing says, pull up. I said, no, 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 no. And he pulled up because the direction says, pull up but pull up from this side, not from the other side. It was too much torque from this side. Don't say this to him, because he doesn't, he broke it, he broke it. <laughs> My number one grandson broke the seat. Separate decay was underneath. He, he swears, no, I, I just did what he said. He did, but he was in the wrong position. He should be on the backside to pull it up. And I said, Joseph, you broke it. He says, no, I just followed the directions. So that's a drawback for, you know, following instructions. But that's not a mark against him. That's just, I hate him until he dies. That's all. <laughs> now I got to get that thing fixed because that seat is down in down position. I got to get it back up. I know who's going to do it. It's going to cost me $250 to get it fixed because it's involving cables. But it'd be worth it eventually. Okay, so all of that means something. I don't know what. Come to the book of Exodus chapter 32, please. Chapter 32 of Exodus. 
Now, I, I figured something out about church and about preaching and pastoring. I figured something out. I figured this out. It's not only about dissecting the Word of God. It's not only about expository. It's not only about topical. It's not only about the Bible says. It's not only about that. It is about relationships with people and, the, and connected to the Bible. And it's about getting the whole context of things. And so I tell these stories like that to kind of help you to see that, that we are regular, normal people with needs and fears and passions and, and faults and all these kind of things. And the Bible is the book that we go to for our help to improve ourselves. And so this is why I throw these things out at you. It's not to waste time, um, but I hope it is, it is edifying in a, in a way because uh, this is not something just intellectual or academic. It's, it's applying to our lives. And if you would understand that, you might plow through boring parts of the Bible and realize God has something for you to learn. And it's good for you. All right, Exodus 32. Chapter 32 of Exodus, verse number one says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. That's a very interesting verse. Most of my time was spent in this verse, but I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 19 for now. Chapter 19 of Exodus. Verses 1 through 6. I am afraid we'll have to read six verses. Oh no. Oh yes. Six verses in Exodus chapter 19. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. Verse 3, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and so on. Now, these two scriptures tell us that Moses went up the mount to get the law from God. There was thunder, there was lightning, there was fire. It's a very dramatic time, very dramatic scene. And so he went up there, and God says, you've seen what I have done. Now, while he's up there, the people down below, they get kind of itchy. They get kind of impatient. And in chapter 32, the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount. And so they began to think certain things. They began to feel certain feelings, and they began to do something very wrong. The people of God, Israel, began to panic. They began to fear. They began to doubt Moses. And so they they began to do something very wrong. So up he goes, they're down below, impatient, the imagination gets the better of them. And this shocks me as the reader of the Bible, and it should shock you too because of the, dra the drama that was right before them. 
above them on the mount. And it shocks me to think that after all that God has done for them, and the Lord told Moses, you have seen what I have done. Not only did Moses see what God has done, the people themselves saw what God has done. I mean, for 400 years in Egypt as slaves. And then that generation is allowed to come out of slavery, out of bondage, out of the hand of the Pharaoh, through the miracles, to the dramatic supernatural things that took place, all the plagues, and then the final plague of the death of the firstborn. And they survive that, and they go through the Red Sea, the miracle of that. They go across on dry ground. They come to the other side. Pharaoh's armies drown. They witness all that firsthand. And that's why I am shocked that they would so soon, after these just maybe six weeks or so, so soon turn their back on Moses. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, this is stunning. This is unreal. This is so unbecoming of people who believe in God, who believe in Moses the leader, that they will so quickly turn their back on Moses. Just because he hasn't come back so soon, they quickly have these thoughts. They want to do these things, and we'll get to that in just a second. After all that God has done for them, you have seen. They saw it too first time. They didn't read about it in a book. They didn't see an old newsreel. They saw it firsthand. And just, just over a month's time, they so quickly forget what God did for them. That amazes me. They so quickly forget the miracles that God did to bring them out into. They were emancipated. And they so quickly forget. And they say some silly, foolish, wrong, hurtful things. They turn their back on Moses. Well, all the plagues was to remember to prove that he is the God of all gods. He is the God of the of all king, even the king of Pharaoh, the king Pharaoh. He just says, to put it in the vernacular, he crushed those gods. He crushed them. Uh, you know, I like to see. I like to see that. I like to see in a sports event. I like to see the team that I don't like lose. I like to see the player that I don't like get crushed. I do. I like to see a pitcher that I like throw a fastball and strike out that great batter. I like to even see him get hit by the pitch. Oh, that hurts. You ever get hit by a fastball? You've never been hit by a fastball thrown by a major league pitcher. But that thing hurts. It bruises. It'll leave a welt. It'll hurt. It'll leave the, you see the stitch marks on the ball on your body. It is thrown at 80 is nothing nowadays. You've never seen an 80 mile pitch coming your way as a regular guy. But 90, that's really fast. Now it's 95, now it's 99, now it's 100 miles an hour. And that ball comes so fast, it's, it's hard to see. It's called an aspirin talent. It's blurred. It, it's oblong the most. It's so fast. You guys hit the ball. When the ball comes at you, this is why they have helmets, they have jaw guards now. They have elbow, knee guard. They got everything protected from getting hit by the ball because it's painful. I just like to see people get hurt in sports. I don't like to get hurt, but I just keep to get hurt. Football, same way. I like to see a team get crushed 99 to 0. I like that. Especially with the New York Yankees and, uh, or the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, I like to see when teams get crushed. God crushed the gods of Egypt. I mean, he just made it real clear who the God of all gods is. And now these silly people, God's people, the people, the people, the people. Look at chapter 32, verse number one. When the people, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people 
Who are the people? The people of God. The people who had been redeemed. The people who had been emancipated. The people themselves in freedom. <laughs> Come up with this silly, stupid notion. They want Aaron to do something for them. They have turned their back on Moses, their leader. They have turned their back on God, their deliverer. Incredible in such a short time, such poor memory that they have. I suspect it's more about their heart than their memory. And so uh, this is going on. And make us gods, they say. They come to Aaron and they demand of him to make them gods. It was not a request. It was not a little note. Can you please, would you please consider making us God? It was like they come to him, a group of men, the, the people come as a crowd, and they come up to Aaron. Aaron is the right-hand man of Moses. Now, there's no new, there's no church in the Old Testament. The church is a mystery. The church is in the New Testament. A new body of Christ. It's not in the Old Testament. But you have the idea of pastor, shepherd, and so Moses is the, quote, pastor or the shepherd of the flock called Israel, the nation. You have Aaron, his older brother, as his, quote, assistant pastor, assistant shepherd. That would be appropriate to frame it that way. So the people, the congregation. So you have this imagery church in the Old Testament. It's not really there, but congregation shepherd, okay? Isn't the New Testament pastor called a shepherd sometimes? Isn't the church also sometimes called a flock? Yeah, because it's going back to the nation of Israel and Moses, the great leader, the great, quote, shepherd or pastor. Aaron is not the pastor. He's the assistant pastor. They come to him with this really dumb, yes, really dumb demand. Dumb demand. Make us gods. Why? You just were delivered from a nation full of gods. And you want to go back to having gods? What did those gods do for is for Egypt against the God? Nothing. They were crushed. And now, after seeing what God has done for them, the true God, they want Aaron, the assistant pastor, to make them gods. That's really the word is dumb. Okay? That's really the word is stupid. That's really the word is carnal. The word now is unspiritual. Okay? All of these words describe what they wanted him to do crazy, more than crazy, wicked, evil, to insult God like that. After all he did, we're going to replace you with, with this, with this. Are you not out of your head? Yes, you are. Make us gods. To replace the all-powerful, all-loving, all-gracious God that delivered Israel from Egyptian slavery. In chapter 19, verse number 4, it says, Ye have seen what I have done to all to the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you into myself. And so the people saw it again firsthand. It's incredible that they would even say this in the madness of Aaron. Now, the second thing I want you to see is that where was their faith in Moses, their leader? He's not here presently. He's gone. He's went up the mountain. He's not back yet. We're getting impatient. I wonder if he abandoned us. Why would they have these silly thoughts in their heads? Moses, who delivered them. Moses, who was faithful to them. Moses, who would intercede for them. You know, Moses was so 
such a good man, a good leader. He said later on, Lord, don't don't wipe them out. They're your people. It, 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 don't 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 it's blot me out of the book of life. Not them. Don't no. That's how Moses was. Great man, great leader, but full of compassion for his people. They turned on him. His people turned on him. Real nice, as I would say. Well, that's really that's really good appreciation, isn't it? Turn on the man who brought you out of Egypt. Turn on the man who gave you courage. Turn on the man who will follow God's orders. And then you follow Moses' order because it's from God. And he brought you out to this point, to safety, away from slavery. And you're going to turn on him so soon, not even six weeks, you're going to turn on him? What kind of people are you anyway, is what he's saying. This is what's going on. So unfaithful to Moses, God's appointed leader. Now, during that time when the people came to him and demanded that he make gods for them, I imagine the news media came to the crowd because there was news media back then. CNN was back there. MSNBC was back there. They came up to somebody in the crowd fussing and they say, uh, we are here live at the, uh, at the base of the Mount Sinai. Uh, we understand that Moses is not, is that right? Yeah, Moses is not here. He didn't come back yet. Okay, uh, how, how, feed from the, the shrub says, ask how the people feel. Uh, excuse me, excuse me. We are from CNN. How do you feel about Moses being gone? Oh man, I think he's abandoned us. Why do you say that? Oh, because he hadn't been back yet. It's been like two weeks. He hadn't come back yet. So you think he's abandoned you? I think he has. Let me let, let me ask you, and I can imagine how that thing spread. I can imagine how people got into, uh, uh, just, they went insane. And it just spread because of people talking like that. And of course, you know how the media works. And so they just fanned the flames of rebellion. And so nobody said, you know, if they came to somebody, well, how do you feel about Moses being gone? What if somebody said this? Well, Moses says he's going to go up to get the law from God. So I believe Moses. Moses is a great man. He's never failed us yet. He's not going to fill us down. I don't know why he's taking us so along, but I think it's come back just like he said. Okay, thank you. Go to somebody else. And then the producers, don't put that in the report. Just show the negative stuff. Just show the bad stuff. Make everybody feel bad. Feel sorry for them. Let them think the whole world thinks that Moses has abandoned them. Dirty, rotten news media. Somebody was fueling among the group bad words, bad thinking against Moses, their leader. Well, <clears throat> I wish someone had said something to support Moses. I wish someone would have said, no, relax. Just relax. You know Moses follows what God says. You know that, don't you? Well, he said he's going to go up, talk to God. God caught him up. That's where he went. He's obeying God. Just relax. Nobody said that. There's no record of that. Well, in chapter 32, the people gathered themselves together. Again, these are the people who experienced firsthand God's miraculous power, and they still thought like this and thought like this. They demanded action. And so they almost, I would say, bullied Aaron to make these golden calves. Bullying, intimidating him. There's a crowd of people, you can imagine. He's by himself. He's alone. One man against a mass of people. I, I suppose he's kind of afraid of that. I don't know how, how he felt. But there's nothing here that says he opposed what they said. There's nothing here that says he 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 fought back, he pushed back, he resent, resisted. There's nothing that says he said, no, wait a minute, stop. Let's think about this some more. Nothing like that is here. Uh, and so 
Aaron, my subject now. Aaron, chapter 32, verse number one, up, make us gods, now which shall go before us. Chapter 32. Now, there's no resistance, and it says, Moses, 32.1, as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. It's all very reasonable. We have no idea what happened to him. Maybe he got killed by some mountain lion or something like that. Who knows? He's gone. We have no leader now. We need some gods to lead us. Where was Aaron to say, wait a minute, you're not going to make me make gods to lead you. That's idolatry. We don't do that around here. And he didn't say anything like that. There was no resistance. He was very silent. He's very quiet. Could it be that his silence was as if he is guilty of complicity in what they were doing? And Aaron, verse 2 of chapter 32 Said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which ye are in the ears, ears of your wives and of your sons. Their sons had earrings? Oh. Are they all from San Francisco? Well, they came out of Egypt, right? They came out of Egypt. They came out of the world. Egypt's a picture of the world. They came out of Egypt. God's people, men, young men, wore earrings. You say, well, what's the issue? Well, I hope you can see the issue, the real between the lines thing going on over here. They were influenced by their world, by Egypt, living there for such a long time. They adopted the ways of the world. They, they became Egyptians in many ways. They were Hebrews, but they were Egyptians in practice. They were worldly. They were carnal people. This is what happens to people who are in the world and they don't say no to the world. They do the things of the world they go along with the fashions of the world, the styles of the world, the music of the world, the entertainment values of the world. They pick up the political views of the world and it all ends up being anti-God, anti-Bible. And the young men, the sons, earrings, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me, verse three, and all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears. I'm going to guess maybe in the noses too. And brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, Yahoo! Hallelujah! Praise God! Amen! O Israel, which brought thee up out of the... This is so sad that they would even give credit to these things that they made with their own hands. This is so sad. This is so pathetic. This is so really disgusting, insulting to God that they would give credit to these things to make up their hands as to who delivered them out of Egypt. This is so tragic. Can you see why God would get really upset with them and mad at them, want to wipe them out? Totally insulted. Have you ever been insulted to the place where you just hate the person who insulted you? No? Never have? God got insulted. He was told, you talk about offended, about offensive behavior, offensive words. These are offensive words. The God of all gods who proved his power mighty Egypt through the Red Sea, all of that. And now they're going to attribute the glory to that? That's totally insulting. I'd be fired up too. 
Verse 5, And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. He had another opportunity to say, Oh, wait a minute, guys. We've gone too far now. We've gone too, we've gone too far to give credit to these things for our deliverance. You've gone too far. No, no, no. I'm not doing it anymore. I was wrong. No. But he didn't do that. There's no pushback on Aaron's part. Can I, can I, can I tell you that part of the job of Moses the shepherd, Aaron his assistant shepherd, was to push back? Part of the job description was to, to get the people to see the, the, the carnality of Egypt, the wickedness of Egypt, and we were delivered from that to this side. And we did not go back to that side in our lifestyle, in our thinking, in our, in our desires, while that group of people said, you know, we don't have any this, this stinking man. It has no taste except kind of sweet, but not sweet enough for me. We want we want the garlic and leeks and onions like we used to have over here. We like that diet better. They're craving what they had in Egypt when God says, wait a minute, you're on this side now. They want to get back. Part of the job of Moses and Aaron was to say, you know what, we're going forward. We're going this way. We're, going, we're committed now. We're not going to go back. We're not going back. We're going to go this way. They wanted to go back. They got out of Egypt, but Egypt did not get out of them. Remember Lot's wife? Remember Lot's wife? She was jerked out of Sodom and Gomorrah forcefully. She had to get out. She was forced to get out. She didn't want to get out. She, she wanted to take everything that she had gained in, in those pagan hidden cities. She wanted to haul off with her in a wagon. The angel said, now, now, get out now. And you know, to say that she was out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was, it was still in her, didn't get out. It's true. So she she looked back one more time, longing for that great big mall of America, longing for all the stuff, the glitz of Rodale Drive, all that stuff. She's going to miss it. One last look, and that was it. That just indicates what was in her heart. They get out of Egypt, but Egypt did not get out of them. Now, folks, you're going to have to keep this in mind. You're saved. You're saved. You're supposed to be a Christian. You're supposed to be saved. You are saved, but you're supposed to live as a Christian should. Christian, they were first called Christians at Antioch because their lifestyle betrayed what they really were inside. They were saved people. They loved God. They were going to live for Him, follow Him, get rid of the idolatry, the paganism, all this kind of stuff, and they're going to follow Christ. And they were, and so they identified as Christians, followers of Christ, little, little Christ. So you can be saved but not be a Christian in practice. He wanted them to be God's people, holy, in practice. Not just biologically Hebrews, but follow the true God. And so that was their big job as uh, shepherds. They were to tell them, this is wrong. Aaron failed to say anything. He failed to put up a fight. He failed to stand up to something that's totally, obviously wrong. Idolatry. Poor Aaron. We would say he lacked a backbone. Poor Aaron, we would say, didn't have the stuff that Moses had. If Moses was down here, would he have tolerated this? You think Moses would have said, oh, you want to make a golden calf? Okay, sure, let's do that. You people want this? Who votes to have a golden calf? Okay, okay, 95%, okay. Okay, majority wins, let's do that. You think Moses would have done that? You know Moses would have said, if he's there, present with this, with this crowd of people? You think Moses would have said something differently? You think he would have been quiet? I think you know Moses would not be quiet. He would say, what 
he, he, do like, he would say, hey, 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 what's going on over here? What is this assembly about? Who called for this meeting? Who called for this meeting? What do you call this meeting for? Oh, because uh, it's been so long since we're over here, and uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna make a, a golden calf, and we want you to be the 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 one who makes it. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? You want me to make you a golden calf? Are you kidding me? He said, "No way." He may not say Jose, but no way. He said he would say something like this. Look, stop. Everybody quiet. Everybody quiet. Stop. Stop. Hey, you folks back there, quiet. Listen to this. Listen to this. He said, yeah, let me get a chair stand. He stepped on a chair. He said, let me, listen to me. You folks who want to make a golden calf, you folks are not only dumb, you are wrong. You're not right with God. God's going to whip your, you know what? You're going to regret doing this. Don't do it. I'm telling you, as God's prophet, as God's man, don't do it. God's going to get you. Oh, well, well, well. That's how Moses would have responded. As a matter of fact, when he came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, you know what he did in this chapter? He came down, he heard the noise of their dancing. Now, they were playing music. And what he heard, he called it noise. He didn't call it music, he called it noise. When he heard the noise, read the chapter in chapter 32, keep heard the noise, and he saw them dancing, and they were naked. Wait a minute. These are God's people. The, the, the people, God's people were, were dancing to some kind of weird kind of music. It was noise and they were naked. Isn't it odd how when you forget God and you, you think how you want to think, you justify wrong actions? Isn't it funny how that always works? You forget God, you forget your clothes, you forget your morality, you forget anything that's right and decent. And you just go with the flow and do what's wrong because it is acceptable. It is the norm. And pretty soon the people were just so bad. And I hate to say, but sometimes Christians or say people can get like that too in this world, in this Egypt. They're just going to go on with everything because that's how it's done. And so Aaron was wrong because he did not stand up to the demand. He was the assistant shepherd. He did that wrong. Didn't calm the people down. Didn't say, oh, stop. That's okay. Never mind. Be patient. You know Moses. Be patient. And so he was weak in his faith. He was weak in his confidence in the Lord. And then he did not back up the shepherd. Didn't calm them and didn't back up his shepherd. Didn't back up his brother Moses. Didn't say anything. There's no record here about him saying anything good about Moses. He just went along with the pressure. Just went along with it. Didn't stand up to anything or anyone. Didn't back up his shepherd. As his assistant, he should have installed some kind of peace and calm among the crowd. But he did not do that. Look, Moses is not here. I know it's been gone a little while. And it seems like a long time, but it's really not. Just sit tight. Just be calm. Mind your own business. Continue praying. Continue, you know, watch and pray. Just, just behave yourself. Don't lose sight of who your leader is, Moses. Has he ever fit? No. Just He never did that. He should have. He should have done that. He should have supported his shepherd. Well, he didn't do that. No. Nothing encourages a local church pastor more. Listen to this. There's always application to something historical. There's always application for us no matter where we live. The application is very plain. 
There is no New Testament church in the Old Testament. It's a New Testament body. But the principles are very strong. You have a man called Moses. God called, not by his choice. God said, not by his choice. God ordered him. Moses follows the orders. Aaron is also by his side. He is his right-hand man. Aaron is supposed to conduct the affairs while he was absent, as if Moses was there. In his absence, do things as he should have done, as if Moses was there, but he failed to do that. Pastor and assistant pastor is how I'm going to frame this. There's nothing more encouraging to a pastor of a local church than to have the people loyal and faithful and trusting and believing in, giving the benefit of the doubt to their God-giving shepherd. There's nothing more encouraging than that. Amen. Nothing. Nothing. You know what a local church pastor values? Can I disclose the heart? Can I tell you what it's supposed to be like? Nothing encourages a local church pastor more than the people following, backing up, confidence, benefit of the doubt, if there's accusations of some sort by someone outside or inside. There's no panic, there's no fear, there's no hesitancy, there's no doubt, there's no speculation, there's no whispering, there's no gospel about, is he guilty of that? Yeah, well, it looks like he did that. I mean, look, they knew the character of Moses. Yes? They knew the character of Moses. They knew Moses. How long was Moses with them? 40 years! You don't know a man after 40 years? You're blind and you're deaf. They knew him, and yet they did not give him any benefit of the doubt. Aaron also was more guilty because he knew better. Aaron should have supported his shepherd. He did not. Bad, bad, bad. Big check mark and something wrong. Now, Aaron, Aaron had some issues. Moses had some issues. But one thing Moses needed, the one thing Moses needed when he was gone, Aaron did not provide. He really failed Moses. No faith, no confidence, no trust, no body of work, no body of history, no, 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 no. He had a lot to fall on to say, you know what, whatever you guys are think, that's wrong. See, this is different from what Jack Kyle says. If you didn't see it, it didn't happen. This is different. <laughs> this is about a man who's had a long history with the people. They know him. He has prayed for them. He has initiated for them, and he still will. He has supported them. He has led them through thick and thin. He has borne their gripes and complaints. I don't know what man has that kind of fortitude to, to keep going on and not retire and quit after all the griping and backbiting and gossiping and fussing about his leadership. I don't know what man would, would be able to bear what he bore. What a man he was. And yet, Aaron just folded like a, like a, you know, just crumple up like a piece of paper, something like that. It was so terrible. What encourages a local church pastor more than anything is people are loyal, faithful. On the other hand, what discourages a man even more is the opposite. Disloyalty, a quick fickleness of just dropping him because something they don't like happened or he says something that's wrong. It could have been something wrong, but uh, both, both are true. Both are true. Moses, when he came down, he was very angry when he saw and heard. He should have been angry. By the way, I'll tell you something else too. He was so mad, he got God's 
tables of stone by the finger of God, he got God's property and just threw it down. Now, let me do something here. No, I was going to throw the Bible down for the drama of it, but I don't want to do that. But you understand, Moses broke God's law. He was so mad. People say, he should have done that. I say that you're wrong. I say he should have done that. And then he got the, the golden calf, he had him melt it down, threw it in the water, ground it to dust, and he made the people drink it. <laughs> Let's have a toast. <laughs> they choked on that. They choked on it. I'm laughing because they deserve that. They choked on that. Uh, no, Moses, don't make it good, Moses. Moses, that's not nice, Moses. No, no, Moses. Drink it. Drink it all. Cut your throat. Come here, you Levites. Get your swords out. They don't drink you. Execute right there on the spot. And 3,000 people got killed. You understand that his anger was justified? This is what you call righteous indignation. He was so mad. That's the word. He was so mad because they had insulted God, made an idol, and you... You back spineless. You're like Chester and Matt Dillon, you know. I mean, you just you just you're just lame. Ah, <laughs> oh, I can't believe you folks. And so he was really upset. Let me tell you something here. If a pastor, a shepherd, is always smiling, <laughs> always smiling, always happy, nothing upsets him, everything is good, everything is fine, everything is groovy. Everything is blessed. We are so blessed. Everything is like that. If everything is just smiley, cheerfully, plastic, you know, everything like that, what kind of shepherd is that who never gets mad about things? Are you understanding? There's a time and a place for a man to get upset about something. Do you not see that? Moses was fired up is what they would say. He was heaping mad. And he just, he just, he just let him have it. Where to go, Moses? Where to go, Moses? You are a man, Moses. I, I can't see Moses coming down and say, oh no. Oh no. What are they doing down there? Oh, what is that noise? That is so raunchy. Oh, that is not godly music. What is that? Oh, what are they doing? They're dancing. That's not like David danced. He's not jumping up and down for happiness or joy because the Ark of the Covenant has come back down. No, no. They, what? Oh, no. Oh. I can't believe what I just saw. Oh, no. I need to go down there and have a meeting with them and ask them what they're doing. That's not what Moses did. Moses got very mad, very upset. I like Moses because every once in a while, the pastor of a church needs to get very upset about some things worthy of being upset about. Now, listen, caution. If a pastor is always mad about everything, that's bad. That's wrong. Always up in arms, always railing on something, always just fire and brim all the time. Stephen Anderson. <laughs> Stephen Anderson. This is our church. We like it. You can leave the doors back there. Da, 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 da. Now you shut your mouth. You be quiet. Da, 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 da. That's 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 not what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's a church, uh, a pastor in church somewhere. Mike sent me a Ford. It's about a man who was preaching. I mean, 
and uh, um, a guy had his cell phone go off. I was talking, and he he walked down over there, and he just got all over this guy. He just publicly humiliated him, embarrassed him to no end. You think want to marry? You want me to marry? I'm not gonna marry you. You're a lousy church member. I wouldn't marry you for anything. Blah 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 blah. And then he says, "I love you." <laughs> What's this? Do I love you? Yeah. You know I love you, don't you? What could the guy say? Totally humiliated him in public. That's not what I'm talking about. What bothered Moses, what I'm so mad was not something like that. It was something very serious. And folks, there's times in which some things just bother, bother, bother the man of God in the church because it's wrong. It's wrong. And he can't, he can't go on because it's wrong. That's an insult to God. He was defending God's honor. He's backing up God's integrity, God's holiness. Totally violating all of that. So there's a reason. And when Jesus got upset, he got those tables. He just said, ah, I can't believe you are doing this in the temple. I can't believe this. What's the matter? He got a rope meant and he whipped them. Oh, the meek and lowly Jesus? The Christmas Jesus? Whipped people? Kicked them out? I would like to have been there to see that happen. No wonder people got upset with him because no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be upset, Jesus. You are the Lord of love. You should not be upset. You should not call people. You should not embarrass people like that. You should just let them do their thing because that's what they want to do. If that's how they feel, let them do what they feel. To a brother. What kind of Christianity is that? The people of God themselves got so. They wanted the assistant pastor to make a golden calf. And when Moses, the pastor, came down, when Pastor Moses came down, the man of God Moses came down, when the man, the man Moses came down, I like that, the man Moses came down, the man Moses. Should I say something about the man Moses? The man Moses was a man. He didn't say anything silly like they do today. I'm going to identify as a woman. Stupidest thing in the world. It's actually vile. It's actually wicked. It's not just stupid. Yeah. It's just evil. Can't believe. It. I hope none of your none of your daughters have to experience going to a locker room with a guy there dressing because and it's a lot because the school board says, well, he identifies as a woman, therefore he is. Fire the whole school board if that's the case. Pick at them if that's the case. Get them out of there because that is so wrong. My kids are raised, growing up, that you respect people. Uh, you respect your parents, you respect all authority, and uh, boys are boys and girls are girls, and you never, you never want to look at a girl, you never want to dress girls in a way that's revealing to get to entice young men. You never want to, you know, uh, violate some of these moral, practical, biblical, common sense things. This is a boy's bathroom. This is a girl's bathroom. Uh, people make jokes about a guy walking to the girl's bathroom, and it's a ha ha thing. But it's not funny when people go in there as if they have the right to go in there and you're a guy in a girl's bathroom. Get that guy out of there. He's a guy. Get him out of there. Kick him out. Oh no, that's so bad. You're just supposed to be angry. Moses got angry about some things and he should have, and Jesus got angry about some things because they should have. And the local church pastor gets like that every once in a while. And you should not object when, now let me interject the, the personal pronoun I. You should, not, you should not object when I get mad about something that I see should be addressed because it's supposed to be that way. Aaron did not fulfill his role. He went along with it. 
I am supposed to say no to some things if I really know that something is wrong. I should not let it go. That is not my job to just go along to get along if something is wrong. Right? That's right. Right? Right. Amen. I'm glad I agree with myself. <laughs> oh boy, Moses is so mad. Good for him. But he's not always mad. Now, I was preaching in a church in Charlotte, North Carolina years ago in a black church. I like going to a black church because they're different. They're kind of spontaneous. They're kind of vocal things. And I go in there and they preliminary. And then as I'm introduced in the pulpit of this black church in Charlotte, really good guy, the pastor. And uh, I'm introduced as, and we're, he, he's, he's praying like this. Let me try to rephrase, or he's praying like this. This is the gist. Dear God, we thank you today that we have, you have sent your manservant here today. Your manservant. And that got my ears. Manservant. He referred to me as a man. He referred to the preacher as a man. man. You know what Moses was? He was a manservant. He was a man preacher. He was a man in every sense of the word. He was not some snowflake. He had some guts to him. He had some backbone to him. Aaron did not. Moses was a real man. And I want to also say that God's work is done by a man. Now I want you to come over to Exodus chapter 32. And I think it's verse number 33. Let me check here. 30, 32, 33. Okay, I'm a little bit long, but I think, um, I think I'm okay. 32 and verse number 33. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Verse 34. Watch carefully. Verse 34. Therefore, now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angels shall go before thee. I'll stop there. Because I want you to see that part where it says, Lead the people unto the place which I have spoken unto thee. Now, when it comes to the relationship between God and the, quote, man of God and the local church pastor, understand this, that there are some people who are so spiritual that they discount the man factor, the man-servant factor. They discount the need for the human element of something that God does. Now, when God led the people of God out of Egypt, he used Moses to lead them out. Who did the miracles? Not Moses, God. Who supplied for their needs? Not Moses, God. But who led them out? Who was their leader? Who showed them the way? Who will lead the way? It's Moses. So you find here a truth that is very true throughout the Bible. When God does something, God uses a man. He doesn't just do something like a bowl of light kind of thing. No, he can. But by and large, in, in a, a, a work, he uses a man to do that. So this is to say, for the ultra-spiritual people who think that God is the one alone gets the glory, that is true. But do you remember that God uses a man to get his glory done? The glory gets to God, but the man gets to do the work. So Corinthians, 1 Corinthians says we're co-laborers with God. Moses was a co-laborer with God. And so for the ultra-spiritual, it's only God gets the glory. Oh, who did that? I did that. No, God did that. No, no, you did that. It's okay for you to say, I did that. 
because God used you to do that. Who gets the credit? God gets the credit. But who was the instrument to be used by God? You were. Sometimes people get so out of whack in their head thinking, no, it's carnal for me to take any kind of credit. Here's what I'm saying. If God uses you, who gets, what do you say? Well, thank God. Praise the Lord. If God does something through you, you say, thank God. Well, how did God get something? One time, a man named Jimmy Woods in our church who's now in heaven. Some of you remember Jimmy Woods? He was only one third of VA disability in his benefits. It was so sad because he had served this country faithfully and loyally and honorably. He had such a hard time financially because of his low um, um, benefits from the VA. So we were praying for him, nothing was happening, and he was working very hard, and he worked hard, but he was not getting what, quote, was due him. So along comes a guy named Russell Smith. Now don't say anything to Russell Smith if you ever see him again. Along comes Russell Smith. Well, he's a colonel, Fulbright Colonel in the Marine Corps. So we're talking story, and he meets Jimmy, and we talk with Jimmy. He asks who he is. I said, you know, hey, Russell, this is his situation. I don't know what you can do about it, but he's a Marine vet. I said, if you, could, if you know someone we can contact office-wise to speed up this VA process, so, so wrong. He said, well, let me check about that. Got his name and everything, SS number. He was up at Camp Smith. Here's what happened. He said, Pastor, I talked to somebody in the office, and uh, can he come up a certain day? It was a Thursday. I said, sure. I think we have an answer for him. I said, what is it? He says, we can get full benefits for him. I said, you're kidding me, right? No, no, no. So he says, when you come up, there's going to be a stall with his name on the on the uh, a placard with his name reserved for Mr. Jimmy Woods. He said, don't tell him. Drop up the camp smith, pick him up in my Camry. I go up over here. He knows what we're going for. He doesn't know what the, the extent is of this visit. Come up there, there's a stall says for Jimmy Woods. I said, look, Jimmy, your name's here. He says, well, what about that? What about that? My name's there. I pull up the heat. He turned red. He was so pleased. He felt so honored. I said, yeah, this is for you. This stall was reserved for you. Remember I told you power and position is good if it's in the right hands? <laughs> well, Russell Smith put some strings. We park up there, and I got directed to go up the certain walk and go to the certain office, and there's people saying, hello, Mr. Woods, hello, Mr. Woods, hello, Mr. Woods. He's like, <laughs> he is stoked that people are recognized. He goes in, and then he gets led to a certain office. He comes out. He has 100% veterans benefits. It happened in two days. Answers to prayer, but who did the legwork? You understand? If it wasn't for that man, that man, Jimmy Woods, would, would not have had all the benefits due him. Moses is God's man who does the work, and that's how God does things. The local church is done by people who do the work. What you need to remember is that you, you, you have to be people that serve the living God and let God use you and let God be honored and glorified by what you do for Him. Let the man of God work as he's supposed to in the church and do things he is supposed to in church and don't be, don't be supportive. Be supportive. Don't be always finding faults. 
Don't be always saying, yeah, but. Well, he said that, but. Well, you know, that wasn't, I don't agree with what he said over there. Well, you know, what else is new? The more you talk, the more you make mistakes. The church does not need people to find fault with the pastor all the time. The pastor himself knows he's got a lot of faults. <laughs> Just ask his wife. I'll tell you. So, those are some things I want to pass on to you. And what can you do about this? Well, number one, what can I do about this? One, I should be what I should be for God, for the church. Okay, number one. I should be a good Moses. What I should be. I should be a good Moses. As I go through Moses, Exodus, I'm thinking, oh, this is so convicting. Moses has such courage. Moses has such compassion. Moses is such a man of prayer. Oh, boy. How... How, 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 how below that I am. But wait, not going to stay there. I'm going to bump it up. And then I think about my assistants, how they should be loyal and support what I try to do for Christ. And I think about the people, how they should be backing up everything we try to do as a church and not always be so petty. Well, I can't stand petty in this. There's a man in North Carolina a church that I know, his name is, um, is Victor Baptist Church in Roxburgh, North Carolina. Let me tell you this sad story. One day he says to me, the pastor says, uh, one day I came to church, it was on a Saturday, and I found a stack of Sunday school material at the door of the church. I said, okay. He says, it was a Sunday school teacher who just dropped off and says, I'm leaving. I said, um, what do you mean? He just came unannounced, without notice to me, no hint of anything, no discussion about anything. He just dropped up on you. He says, I quit. I said, reasons you think? He says, I have no idea. He never talked to the pastor. He never gave him any clue. He never said anything in discussion or prayer. You know, I, I have a disagreement or whatever. Nothing like that. He says, totally caught by surprise, off guard. Just dropped off like that. He says, that guy was teaching me for 15 years. People are going to ask me what happened. I don't know what to tell them. He just dropped the ball right in my lap without any, he said, I'm gonna to try to call him, but I know what's gonna happen. I suspect he's not gonna return my call. He's not gonna answer the doorbell. I don't know why he did that. You know, that's very hurtful. At least he could have the courtesy to discuss things, to try to solve something rather than just drop it. So it's always better to try to resolve something than try to just have an explosion. Well, that guy did the wrong thing, I believe. Moses, Aaron, the people, let us be, I want to be a good Moses, and you want to be good people. So let the book of Exodus speak to your head and to your heart, and let's be a better church, a, a better church for Christ. Okay, we've, we've come through Egypt now, we've crossed the Red Sea, we're in the wilderness, we're going this direction, let's keep going in that direction. Let's keep going after souls, keep witnessing, keep passing our tracks, keep praying, keep being in church. Supporting one another, helping one another. Let's do all these kind of things. I want to tell you as I finish up here, this is not in my notes, but this is something I'll pass on to you. I think you should know that it is so helpful and so good and so healthy for each of you as church members to be alert to how people have needs and you try to help them. Now, forget me for the moment, but think about your fellow Christian members in the church, how you can help them in some way. You need to know what's going on. When you talk with people, find out what's going on without being a Columbo. <laughs> but see how you can help someone. You'd be surprised how you could be like 
that person that helps someone get over something that they have a, a problem with. You don't know, you don't want to know everything. You want to probe be a detective, but you want to be alert to needs so that you can help. That's why I passed on to Mrs. Tab to help you to see how we can get help to somebody we don't know, how much more so to people we do know. Do you do you see what I'm trying to explain? Don't be don't be an island unto yourself. Don't be a Niihau. Or uh, what's the other island? You cannot get on Niihau? Yeah, don't be an Niihau. Be, be like an Oahu where you can be of help to somebody. I was talking to Tang today. You know what Tang told me? Because uh, I asked about Tarsha for the, the Prius. He says, I told him two weeks ago, I said, uh, no rush, but you know, about this time I probably need. And so he said, oh yeah, you know, we're busy and all that kind of thing. I said, I understand, no problem, no, no pressure on you. He says, but uh, I'm, I'm going to try to get to you before Saturday. I said, don't give me junk now. I need, I don't need junk. I need something that's dependable. Oh, yeah, 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 I know. Now, you know what Tang is always trying to do? He's always trying to be help to somebody. That is very helpful, very helpful. And there's many other people that are like that. And that don't ever stop doing that. So reach out to help, especially your own church. Especially your own church. Especially, especially, first of all. And then reach out to others first. Don't go reach out to some ministry way far away and you neglect your own church family. Okay? All right. Let me catch my breath. I'm done. Let's pray. Lord, we learned so much from Exodus, from the life of Moses and Aaron and the people. Help us, Father, to be better than what they did and strive to be more like Christ would have us to be. For the sake of our church, for the sake of our, our fellowship, our people, for the sake of honoring you. We pray to bless the messages through Exodus. And most of all, bless your people. Strengthen them. Edify them. Build them up. Don't tear them down. But if you have to tear them down before you build them up, then so be it. If they need rebuke before they get right, so be it. If they need scolding, if they need rebuking, so be it. If that will help them to be edified. We cannot be so thin-skinned that we cannot be corrected. And we learn from the mistakes of history, from the book of Exodus, and we want to do better than what they did there. May we never have that situation arise in our church. Maybe it's not idolatry uh, as far as building literal golden calves, but we could fall into the temptation of idolatry in different forms, entertainment forms, having music that's of the world in church to attract people, less lo loosening up standards so that we can be less offensive to people. We can make that mistake. Compromising on the Bible to be more attractive to people, that'd be a mistake. Having stuff now that's of the world in church to be more accepting and more accommodating, more open-minded to people, that'd be wrong. Help us to be biblical, to be kind at the same time. May it not be doctrine sound, but practically unkind people. That's not right either. So Lord, help us to have a good sense of balance. Help us to have common sense. Help us to be forgiving as we look at our mistakes. Help us to know that there's always a chance to do better. Give us the strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.